0: If you appreciate Issues, Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues, Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever.
1: Do we really live in a country where only the left gets to do political satire? If anyone in the right half does this stuff, it can't possibly be funny because they have to be doing it for all the wrong reasons.
0: When you have people who couldn't even begin to articulate for you what it means to believe in the triune god but can tell you how donald trump is god's anointed servant then you look at that and you go yeah that just sounds like you have an entirely false god
1: many evangelical interpreters will take that Romans 7 text and say that that was paul before his conversion now this is an amazing thing to think about that paul before his conversion was spirit wrestling with flesh (laughs) we would say no no before conversion you have none of the spirit you
2: have only flesh so with all of the things that Jesus says about his return, there isn't anything that even really implies at all that there could be some multiple returnings of Jesus. When the Son of Man returns, he will return in his glory, and he will judge the living and the dead, and that is the end of all things. Then the Lutherans, they brought us over here. Everybody blames the Lutherans. <laughs>
0: A question from a child. If I were to get married to a Catholic, would God like if I changed into a Catholic myself? Are we supposed to do that? Many of my classmates say that their parents told them they are mistakes. What does God think of that? And do furries have rights? What's a furry? Welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time for part 20 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us. He is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome back.
3: Todd, it's great to be here. Thanks.
0: Do furries have rights? What's a furry? And as to the child's question.
3: yeah, (laughs) Right away, it's like, uh, did I even hear that question right? Furries? What are furries? Well, this very briefly, and this would be a very simplistic definition, but a furry is someone who self-identifies as an animal. It really is the next step in your whole LGBTQ+, plus. I suppose it would fall in the plus, but it is taking the expressive individualism to like the next extreme, but someone who identifies as an animal as a cat or a dog or something of that nature. And yes, although rare, there are people who are beginning to embrace this sort of self-identity. So the question the child asks, do furries have rights? Well, this brings up all kinds of interesting questions. So we're gonna work through this, but I first want to uh, address with my answer to the child, then we'll go a little bit deeper. Great question. Let's think through this. American citizens are afforded certain rights. What these are, as you know, is hotly contested. So instead of wading into the quagmire of the American conception of rights, let's talk about the creature's relationship with his creator. First, furry is not a designation God gives. Furry is a false identity. It is a false fantasy. It's a rebellion against the identity that God gives. God does not classify people as furries he calls them male and female second scripture does not describe creaturely rights it describes creaturely responsibilities in other words scripture tells us what we owe our neighbor here's the way Paul puts it in Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So look at what Paul says. You owe your neighbor love. And notice this, that doesn't mean affirming your neighbor's sin. It means honoring God's commandments in relation to your neighbor so remember in class how we we have described god's commandments as a moat of protection around people's lives so god is saying this castle is sacred don't mess with it here's what this means you owe your neighbor kindness and respect and truth and compassion you don't owe him affirmation for his sin this applies to people who identify as animals We must honor God's commandments in relation to them. That's what we owe our neighbor. That's how we do what is right in relation to our neighbor. So notice the different way we as Christians approach this question. We don't start with the question of what the creature's rights are. We start with the question of what the Creator has said that we owe to our neighbor. We start by asking what the Creator has called right. Okay, that's where my answer ends. Now, I'll take a few minutes just to expand upon this. I know that rights talk is huge in America. And I'm not saying that there's, there's not something to rights. And I'm fully aware of the way the Declaration of Independence speaks about rights. But I really wanna come at this question biblically. Now, yes, scripture does speak about rights. I mean, you can find the word R-I-G-H-T-S in Scripture. You can search for it. It's there. But it's using it in a different way than the way it's commonly discussed in America. So rights in Scripture seem to be more about what we owe our neighbors so, the Bible will speak, for instance, about marital rights and inheritance rights. And the book of Proverbs will speak about the cause or the judgment or the case or the rights. That's the way that word is being used there the rights of the afflicted or the poor, or the destitute. It seems concerned with what we owe our neighbor. My point for now is that scripture comes at this in a neighbor focused way and not a me focused way it actually does not encourage us to insist upon our rights in fact what as i see this what it really seems to be doing is exhorting us to honor our responsibilities toward our neighbors i think this is actually a pretty profound insight if we'll just tune in here for a minute so scripture does not encourage us to fixate on our rights Scripture tells us that we have certain responsibilities toward our neighbor. So, in my answer to the child, I made reference to Paul's words in Romans 13, where Paul says that we owe our neighbor love. And look what he does then he uses the commandments to define love you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, right? So, scripture does not define love as affirmation like our culture does. Scripture defines love with the clear commandments of God. So here's the way I like to put it. I mentioned this briefly to the child. God places a moat of protection around the castles of our lives. And he says, sacred. This is sacred. Don't mess with it. So this is getting after the responsibility that we have toward our neighbor. We have the responsibility to protect his family, to protect his life, to protect his sexuality, his property, his reputation, and so on. And he has the same responsibility to protect ours. Or you could just as easily turn to the table of duties or the table of responsibilities in the Catechism, where Luther just lays this out. Here's what you owe your neighbor. So this is what I find beautiful and difficult. By framing rights as responsibilities, Scripture is turning me outward toward my neighbor. Now that is simultaneously beautiful and difficult. I have a responsibility to ensure that no one, if you will, storms his castle. So let's go back to the child's question. In American terminology, all people, regardless of how they identify, have certain rights. What those rights are, well, that's where it gets pretty dicey, and that's, that's where the argument rages. In biblical terminology, all people have a responsibility to their neighbor to love them, this is key, in line with what God has called good. To love them in line with God's commandments. So this is important. I don't have a responsibility to affirm a lie. I don't have the responsibility to enable a fantasy. I don't have the responsibility to go along with sin. I do have a responsibility to confess Christ to my neighbor. I have a responsibility to speak truth to my neighbor. So I think if we meditated on this, it has the potential to change the conversation dramatically and to change the way that we think about rights.
0: Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. We are in part 20 of our series, Kids Have Questions. The next question, why do people pick on other people that aren't in their friend group? What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal,
4: issuesetc.org. Join Lutherans for Life at the For Such a Time as This Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Enjoy the testimony and talents of Dove award-winning musician and adoptee Mark Schultz. Discover expert information and exciting opportunities, and experience the fellowship and celebration, the 2024 Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston. Find out more and register at LutheransForLife.org slash conferences.
1: A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues, etc. Do you dream about having stained glass windows
0: at your church but know they are too expensive to ever get them? Ad Cruisome has the solution. Our window clings are an excellent way to enhance the beauty of your church without breaking that glass ceiling. Visit AdCruesome.com and reach out to us to work with you on this project. Ad Crucem established in 2014 and still going strong. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M
2: dot com.
1: Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates 713 855 2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc. 713 855 2681.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkins. It's part 20 of our series Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. Jonathan, here's the next question. Why do people pick on other people that aren't in your friend group? It feels like if you aren't in the group, you will get picked on. I can't be in every friend group, but I don't want to be picked on.
3: Yeah, I I hope listeners, when they hear that question, um hope we realize. I mean, this in so many senses, this is every child, right? And this kid's question is you know, it's not even not even a question, that's even limited. To school, I think even adults sometimes can feel this pressure. So even though I'm going to answer the child, I think that the insights we offer here could be very helpful no matter what your age is. I think it's a very personal question. And again, before I even answer here, I, I want, again, our listeners to appreciate what the beautiful thing about these learning journals is. All I'm asking kids to do at the end of class is tell me one thing they learned or one question they have. And obviously, this wasn't the topic of the conversation in class, but he felt like uh, he wanted help with this, and so I get this a uh, lots of times. On, on a, a couple of kids will ask a very personal question every week, stuff that's going on in their life, and I think, if nothing else, from the learning journal, one of the beautiful things has been this relationship that I'm able to build with these kids, and then I oftentimes will follow up with parents as appropriate, so they can know what's going on in their children's life, uh, and it's just really been a real tool for facilitating ministry. But here's what I say to the child. What an observant insight. Let me start with something for you. Make sure you don't pick on anyone. Make sure your words are kind make sure your words aren't dirty or mean. and make sure your words show people that you care about them. Now pause for a second. I happen to know the child who's asking this, and I know this is an area that he struggles with. So while he's asking a question from a very sincere place of he feels hurt, he's done a little bit of his hurting himself. He's gotten a few altercations at school and and so that's why I'm starting by addressing him in this way because I know that there's a little bit more to the story, but going on. now, why do kids pick on kids who aren't in their friend group well here's the direct answer because they don't understand or believe who god is and what he has done for them in jesus if they did they wouldn't treat people like that period further they are very insecure they are afraid of losing their position in their friend group So to keep their position, they make sure other people are kept out. And make sure you appreciate this. They are insecure in their identity. People who are secure in who they are, who know they are loved by God, who are accepted by God because of the work of Jesus Christ, aren't afraid of other people. Other people are gonna be a threat to their status. They're a child of the king of the universe. Who cares what other people think? Further, If they know they're a child of a king, then they will be eager to tell other people about the love of their king and how they can be a part of his kingdom. So what do you do? First, enjoy God's love for you in Jesus. Reflect daily on who God has made you, and then live as a child of the king. Nobody, no matter how mean they are, can take that away from you. So that's where my answer to the child ends. And again, I want to zero in on so when people hear this, this is a specific child with a specific story. He has his own, you know, issues going on, right? But this is not unique to this child. Okay? He, he's describing what just about every child in school has experienced. You can call it kind of, I'm going to make up a word, but the groupifying of kids. And it's driven by the question of belonging. Right? Where do you belong? Where do you fit? Where are your people? And anyone listening knows that's not limited to children. In fact, it seems to be very, uh, very much a human question. So I wanna say a few things on this. One, I wanna talk about what kids are experiencing and what's driving this, this exclusive groupifying among many kids in school. Two, I wanna talk just briefly about a modern ideology that is making this groupifying a whole lot worse and three i want to offer a biblical corrective on this so let's talk about what's going on in the school what's driving this uh, exclusive groupifying so this mentality goes like this if you're with them you can't be with us or if you're in that group you aren't in the cool group right so what's driving that mentality and i just want to say you know, I remember many, many years ago when I was in school, I remember experiencing this, that this was such a hard thing. I always felt like I was just outside that group. You know, I was allowed to enter occasionally. But I was never really a part of it. And I have to tell you, that's a horrible feeling. So what's going on? Well, at least a couple things are going on. Number one. There's a deep immaturity and insecurity here. And on the one hand, should any of us, right, should we be surprised by this, right? I mean, I think it's uh, Jennifer Roback Morse who likes to say immaturity is rampant among the youth. I mean, she's doing that with her tongue in her cheek, but she's absolutely right. So on the one hand, that shouldn't be surprising at all because I mean, they are by definition youth, but there's actually more going on. There's also this deep insecurity. There's a desperate search for identity going on, right? The, who am I? Where do I fit? Where does my value come from? And everyone listening, these are huge questions. And if you really don't know the answers, if you're a kid and your parents have not provided the answers for you, imagine what that does to you you can see what it does to a school, or you can see what it does to kids. It's so painful. It's so divisive. It's so destabilizing. And here's the thing, you know, parents who are listening, the church has the answers to these questions. I mean, profound, deep, grounding, stabilizing answers to these questions. And you heard what I I said to the child. He's a child of the king of the universe. He's baptized into Christ. He's an inheritor of the kingdom. He's loved by God. So think about this. When God looks at this child who's baptized into Christ, God smiles on him. What a marvelous thought, right? God is saying, you belong with me. So for parents who are listening, I mean, don't you want your kids to know that in the core of their being. Now look, in all likelihood, they're not gonna pick this up on their own. So you need to take them to church and you need to get them and you need to get you into Bible study and you need to make sure they are told. You tell them, Bible study, Sunday school tells them over and over and over again that they are loved by God in Christ. Because, because they are connected to Jesus, because they are baptized into Christ and God smiles on them. I love the way Luther puts this in the small catechism in his explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed, right? He talks about Christ redeeming us, then he says, that I may be his own. I hear that phrase. So maybe maybe parents, you have this experience, I have this experience a lot, and you don't have to be a parent to have this experience, but there are just certain phrases in scripture in the catechism that just stick in my brain and they just live there and that's i want them to live there that's that's what i want i want them to live there but this phrase is one of them that i may be his own what a marvelous phrase so parents really you got to get this into your kids because this is where they fit they fit with jesus and there's a place for them in christ's church now I want to come back to this a minute, but for now, I want to point out how embracing this mindset can immunize your child against the groupification happening in school. Now, it won't mean that they're not going to get picked on or left out of certain groups. The only way for that to change is for more kids to hear and confess the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier, I remember experiencing this throughout school, but here was the difference my parents took me to church and i knew that i belonged to jesus i knew my people were at church youth and adults not just youth youth it's the beautiful thing about church it's not just sticking us in certain a certain generation it is giving us an intergenerational interaction so i knew i belonged there and i knew they loved me so school wasn't always great but i knew i had something bigger and better now very briefly, I mentioned. I uh, wanted to mention a modern ideology that is putting this groupification on steroids. I'm only going to mention it for now because you know, we don't have time to go I spend a whole hour just on this one question. But it's the idea of intersectionality. I mean, the whole premise like the entire telos of this ideology is to groupify people, to divide people into right oppressor and oppressed, to victimizers and victims. Like you are gonna be in one of those groups. So if you have a certain skin color, you get put in this group over here. If you have a certain gender identity, you get put in this group over here. If you have a certain sexual orientation, you get put in this group over here. Now, if you're in this group over here, you're in the good group. And if you're in that group over there, Well, you are in the bad group, bad, bad, bad. So you are the cause of all of society's problems. You need to be disenfranchised, silenced, and you need to be made to feel very guilty. And forgiveness, forget about it. It is never available to you. It's just a lifetime of penance. Okay, so if you're paying attention, you probably notice the religious undercurrent that's driving this ideology. See, it's obsessed with guilt and innocence, never forgiveness, always penance. That reminds me of C.S. Lewis's famous line in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, right? Always winter, never Christmas. So well with intersectionality, it's always penance, never forgiveness. But my point for now is that this is groupification on steroids. So if you wanna keep people divided, if you wanna make sure you maintain in-groups and out-groups, if you wanna make sure that people are separated by skin color or, or, or sex or behavior, then look, intersectionality, that's the ideology for you. Personally, I think it's demonic. I mean, you just look at the fruit of this ideology and you compare it, like for example, to what scripture says over in Revelation chapter 7. And I just wanna read these couple sentences here because it's so beautiful. Revelation 7, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, That's such a marvelous image, right? You have this kaleidoscope of culture united in praise to Jesus. I mean, a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language are standing together, together, that's the key here. There's no in group, there's no out group, there's no good group or bad group. This is not intersectionality. Maybe we could call this interconnectionality, connected to and in Christ. So that's the message that we need to get to and into our kids that's the message we need to get into our schools into our communities into our culture and it starts by parents getting their kids into the church and getting their families into the word
0: pastor jonathan connor is our guest he's pastor of zion lutheran church in manning iowa it's part 20 of our series kids have questions on the other side if i get married to a catholic would God like it if I changed into a Catholic myself?
2: Here's an easy way for you to help us cast Christ Net on the Internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor.
1: Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.
2: That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus are you on the road to paradise in the southern Puget Sound area of western Washington, but looking for a traditional, liturgical Lutheran congregation in classical Lutheran elementary school? Parkland Lutheran Church and School in Tacoma, a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, is the place to find our Savior's rest on Sunday mornings and Monday evenings. Visit our website at parklandlutheran.org for service times and downloadable sermons. Preaching, teaching, and distributing Christ and Him crucified every week.
4: For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
1: Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc.
4: Issues
0: Etc. guest, Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin,
3: preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about
0: studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The book of Isaiah in the Old Testament is often called the Gospel of the Old Testament. certainly contains... A lot of things that find their way into the New Testament and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's a section of it where God addresses the Gentile nations and then His own people. His message is one of judgment and one of consolation. The Issues, etc., a book of the month for February is the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. You can find out more about this book at our website issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House. ask for the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27, the Issues Etc., a book of the month, for February. It's part 20 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. Here's a question. If I were to get married to a Catholic, would God like it if I changed into a Catholic myself? Are we supposed to do that?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's such a fascinating question that you have a, a middle school student thinking this which I, i'm glad this child is thinking this but it also shows you again like i mentioned with the last question these kids are asking very personal questions and they know they're going to get a sincere and thoughtful answer to them and only to them so they're not having to ask this you know in front of the class and so there's just oftentimes a running dialogue that happens from week to week with these kids i just love that this kid asked this question but i do want to start by just acknowledging like this is a sensitive question but it's a very important question and i also want to offer this question to our listeners right are we talking to our kids about marriage are we helping them understand that the confession of christ is central in their preparation for marriage i just led a group of high schoolers here at zion through a session i put together called marriage 101 getting ready to be ready we talked about what to look for in a spouse and what red flags to watch for and surely the confession of christ must be the centerpiece of this conversation so i think this child's question is an outstanding question in my answer i want people to appreciate what i'm going to focus on I'm not focusing on whether Roman Catholics can be good people. I know many wonderful, intelligent, loving, and kind Roman Catholics. That is not the question right now. The question is the confession. Does the confession of Christ matter in a marriage? And I'll just say up front, I believe it does. So here's what I say to the child This is a really great question. I am glad you're thinking about it now. Let me answer with a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus' cross was sufficient for your salvation? In other words, do you believe that Jesus did enough to make satisfaction for your sins before the Father? If the answer is yes, you would not want to become Roman Catholic. Roman Catholics believe that we have to make satisfaction for our sins through our works of satisfaction, also called penance in which we finish the work of absolution as such they believe that we become righteous as opposed to being declared righteous through the justifying work of jesus which is what scripture teaches so they believe we become righteous by our grace assisted works so if you believe that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone on account of christ alone you would not want to become roman catholic do you believe that god's word is the sole rule and norm by which we form doctrine or teaching if so you would not want to become roman catholic because they believe the bible and the oral tradition handed down basically through the popes should be regarded with pretty much equal weight if you become roman catholic you would need to know going in that you would be giving up the full confidence of salvation in the justifying work of Jesus. You would be giving up salvation by grace alone. And you would be taking part of the burden of salvation on yourself. Is that something you want? So the question you need to ask is, do I want to marry someone who disagrees with the heart of scripture's teaching on salvation? Do I want to give up grace and confidence in Christ and take on the burden of grace assisted works? So if you want to know what I would say, I would say, no, don't marry a Roman Catholic. They may be wonderful and loving people, but they lack grace and confidence in Christ alone. That's too much to give up. Okay, so now I wanna expand upon that a little bit. I wanna read something to our listeners that I think is relevant to our conversation. So I'm gonna read something out of the Canons and Decrees of the Council of Trent, okay? So those of you listening may not know what that is. This document comes out of obviously the Council of Trent from the, the mid 1500s, all right? This is the Roman Catholic Church's response to the Lutheran Reformation. So this document lays out Roman Catholic teaching on a whole host of things. We're only concerned about one right now and that's justification. But before I get to that document, I want to reiterate that as Lutherans, we confess that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. And I just want to read the paragraph out of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, which explains it, because I think it's so important for us to have that grounding first. And the beautiful thing about this paragraph, it's brief, it's simple, it's right to the point. So here's what it says in the... Article four of Augsburg Confession. It is taught that we cannot obtain forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God through our merit, work or satisfactions, but that we receive forgiveness of sin and become righteous before God out of grace for Christ's sake through faith, when we believe that Christ has suffered for us and that for his sake our sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us for God will regard and reckon this faith as righteousness in his sight, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and 4." Okay, end quote there. Okay, so the Roman Catholic Church strongly objected to this. And then the Lutherans penned the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, that's the defense of the Augsburg Confession, where this article on justification explodes into hundreds of paragraphs, basically a book in and of itself. And then Rome calls Trent and they double down on their rejection of this article. All right, so back to the canons and decrees of the Council of Trent. I just want to read one paragraph from one section, the section on justification. This is Canon number nine. Here's what it says. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. Okay, end quote. Now let me translate this. Let Lutherans be damned. That's Roman Catholic doctrine. I'm not trying to be inflammatory. I'm just reading the book. I could read several more similar paragraphs very, very close to what I just read. That's what Rome confesses. Now, okay, let's talk about marriage. How's it going to work if you're a Lutheran thinking about marrying a Roman Catholic who, if they are abiding by their church's teaching, believes you should be damned for confessing salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Now, if they aren't abiding by their church's teaching, why are they Roman Catholic? See, what a person confesses matters in marriage. And for parents who are listening, I think you should make this part of your family conversation. And I wouldn't hesitate to bring up confirmation vows, all right? We don't leave the faith for marriage. Giving up grace, I mean, full, complete, saving grace, I think that's a price tag way too big to give up. Now, I wanna add just just one thing here, What I'm trying to do here is just call a thing what it is, all right? If I could wave a magic wand and put a different name on church bodies, I would change the name of Roman Catholic to Pope Catholic and Lutheran to Gospel Catholic. See, there's the difference. If you want the Pope, then the Roman Catholic Church is for you. If you want the Gospel, then the Lutheran Church, and I might add the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is for you if it's me considering marriage, I'm not giving up the gospel for the pope. And that's what I'm gonna tell my kids. When we come back,
0: many of my classmates say their parents told them they were mistakes. What does God think of that? It's part 20 of our series, Kids Have Questions with Pastor Jonathan Connor. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to His own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The issues, etc., a book of the month for February. The Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27.
4: Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at MemoriaPress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memorial Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. We're supported by listeners like you.
1: You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons, or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.
4: The Evangelical Lutheran Church holds that it is God who raises up men to serve His Holy Bride through His Office of the Holy Ministry. At Concordia University Chicago, we prepare men to take the first step on the path by which God leads them to his pastoral office. Are you ready to take the step? I'm Dr. James Ambrose Lee, Chair of the Division of Theology at Concordia University Chicago. Learn more about the pre-seminary program at CUC by visiting cuchicago.edu.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Pastor Jonathan Connor and our show these kids have questions. Jonathan, here's another question. Many of my classmates say their parents told them that they were mistakes. What does God think of that?
3: All right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I want to preface my comments. And parents listening, or anyone who will be a parent someday, never say that to your child. Never. I'll have more to say in a minute on this, but I want to say this up front, right? Never tell your child that he or she was a mistake because the wound is going to be deep and lasting. Just don't do it. And if you already have, beg forgiveness. Okay, you were wrong. So here's what I say to the child. God disagrees strongly. Consider these words from Psalm 139. So Psalm 139, so continuing. It may be true that parents, parents didn't plan to have a child. It may be true that the circumstances of a person's conception weren't ideal, but it's not true that any person is a mistake. God knows the full number of our days before we exist. If this is true, there's no way we can be a mistake. And this is surely something your classmates need to hear because no one should ever be told that he or she is a mistake. That is a soul-crushing thing to say to anyone. And if these parents have said this to their children, they have sinned greatly and done great damage to their children. How desperately your classmates need to hear of God's love for them and his full knowledge of their days before even one began. Okay, so let me expand. I want to speak... First of all, to anyone, if you were ever told that you were a mistake, right? If that was you hear this, you are not a mistake. If anyone told you this, they were mistaken. It was their mistake. They were wrong. They were wrong and they were ignorant. You were not a mistake. God knew the moment of your conception. God saw you being formed in your mother's womb. He heard your first heartbeat. He saw you kick. He saw you stretch your arms. He saw you sleep, and he saw you stretch and grimace and and smile. God saw every moment, and God knows the number of your days. You are not a mistake. Okay, continuing. Yes, sometimes children are a surprise. Sometimes children are conceived in unloving circumstances. I attended a pro-life rally here, maybe about a year ago, and Vivek Ramaswamy was actually there. He was one of the speakers. Actually, the one I found most enlightening was one of the women on his team spoke before him, and she told her story of being conceived through sexual assault. And she spoke very clearly. She said, I do not glory in the circumstances of my conception. It was evil, but I am not a mistake. My life has value. And I would add, all the more when we understand our relationship to the Lord. We could talk about why God allows such evil to persist, and we've talked about that before. But for now, I just want us to appreciate that regardless of the circumstances of our conception, we are not a mistake. Number one, we bear the image of the living God. And number two, if we are baptized into Christ, we are claimed by the living God as his own, as children of paradise. So we have this delightful little hymn in our hymnal called Children of the Heavenly Father. I want to share just a couple verses of that hymn. And if you've ever been told that you're a mistake, please listen to these verses, just two verses. Children of the Heavenly Father, safely in his bosom gather, nestling bird nor star in heaven, such a refuge e'er was given. And neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord his children sever. Unto them his grace he showeth, And their sorrows all he knoweth. Does that sound like mistake language? Not at all.
0: So, how do you deal with the kids? Because this is heartbreaking.
3: How do you deal with the kids that believe it? Oh man. That kid, my heart just breaks for them. So, okay, here's how I'm gonna help this kid through this. All right, and it's not gonna surprise you. I'm gonna take them to Jesus, right? So we're gonna have to go to Jesus. What we have to do is do two things. Number one, we need to make sure we get that false belief out into the open. So in other words, we're going to, have to find a way to put it into words so, so we can Here's the way I like to describe it sometimes. We need to take these inner thoughts, and look, we've all got them. This is one example, okay? But there are other examples that would apply just as as well here. But whatever that thought is, that truth claim in our heart, and in this case it's, I was a mistake, or I've been told I was a mistake. So we need to say those words out loud, put them on the table, all right? So what we're gonna do then is now it's out in the open because where it's really doing damage is when we leave it inside in the dark and we just let it just, just run, you know wild in our minds and it just destroys things. So we're gonna put it out in the light. We're gonna bring the light of Christ to bear on it. And we're going to speak that word of Christ into that darkness. And so we're going to, as often as we can, give the words of of life and of God's knowledge. And Psalm 139, we're we're gonna try to break it down, especially for a kid, you're not gonna give them three pages worth of stuff, but some simple images. God knew my name. God knows my days. God, we could talk about God knowing the number of hairs on my head, right? God formed me. So these sort of simple, uh, very, very brief statements, but we're gonna give those statements and encourage the child when you are experiencing that darkness, that feeling. Number one, we're gonna put those false thoughts out in the open and then we're gonna speak God's truth into them. And then as we have opportunity, interacting with this child on a personal level, we are going to be very intentional about speaking God's truth into their life. And I'll add one more piece here. And this is where technology can be very helpful. When I'm aware of an individual or a family or something who has some significant event in their life that I know in three months, the rest of the world's going to forget about. They're just going to go on. I put reminders on my phone for certain intervals, whether it's six months, whether it's a year, whatever. And so it's going to pop up. And so if I have a kid like this who is having this struggle, I'm going to put it in a month down the road to make sure I tell this kid, hey, you know, and then I'll say, God knew your name. God knows the number of hairs. So I'm going to be reminding myself that I need to be speaking this truth into this child's life as often as I can. So adults out there, if you got kids in your world who have this sort of darkness, set a reminder on your phone you have got to remember because they need to have this truth spoken in and this light of christ shined into their heart continuously because like you said todd this is so utterly heartbreaking and it brings such a deep darkness into a child's life that can last their whole life so all we have is the tools of christ but this is enough to bring the light of christ to bear in that darkness here's the hard part i
0: mean from a pastoral perspective how would you counsel a child? Because this isn't just any old Bible question. How would you counsel a child to respond to a parent who says, "And this is these are the kind of flippant remarks that get made by unthinking parents, maybe on a regular basis." How would you counsel a child to respond to that, that notion?
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like first of all to get a hold of the parents, but uh, but uh, if I don't have access to the parent with the child i think what i would do because we have a couple things to keep in mind here we don't want to give a child a comeback where we're now just starting an argument or we're disrespecting parents we're not going to give them ammunition to fire at their parents but we can give them these very simple truths out of god's word if parents say you are a mistake i think the child can say and you can give them these words i may not have been planned but god tells me i'm not a mistake I mean, those sorts of very simple statements. And then that counsel the child, but the goal here is not to argue with your parents. It may be simply that simple response, and that's the end of it. Because I think at that point, because the child's greatly disadvantaged when it comes to that relationship. I mean, the parent holds, if, if any parent's saying that to their child, they're abusing their authority and they're they're basically using power sinfully over their child. So you know right away that the situation is not gonna be ideal for the child. So we're not gonna try to put a child in a situation where it's like, well, now you, they say this, you say this, they say this, you say this, there's, nothing's gonna come from that. But if we just give them something very simple, like I wasn't a surprise to God, God says I'm not a mistake, God knows, something very simple, and then it's done. But at least then they're able to say it out loud, the truth out loud, and maybe, Maybe it puts that in, like, Greg Cole likes to talk about putting the stone or the pebble in someone's shoe. It may be that these kids have to put it in their parent's shoe, because now the parent has to walk around with that statement, I have contradicted God. I think that's where I'd start. But obviously, from there, it's going to depend upon the situation. But that's where I would start. i try to give a kid a simple tool to offer as a... Re- not necessarily a rebuttal, but the point here is a simple tool to speak truth, to confess truth, because really that's what we're after in the totality of life is to confess Christ in all circumstances. So really that's what I'm driving after here is to say, here, child, I'm going to give you a tool to help you confess Christ in the face of a patently false claim.
0: With only a minute here, this should serve as a, that you actually had a kid write this in their journal. This should serve as a warning to Christian parents to be very careful with their language to their children about a minute for your thoughts
3: oh yes i have heard this more times than i would like to acknowledge we're so uncareful with our words and parents your kids want to know that you love them i mean the thing that they live for most is know they have your approval they've done something worthwhile in their life and to know that you have noticed them that's the most important thing in the world i mean i know look kids are kids they may not always seem like that but truly when you get into their heart that's what they want so parents please pay attention to your words your words have the power to lift up or to crush right so even if like even if your child was a surprise okay Either frame it in a positive way that God surprises us with this great blessing of this child, or just say nothing. (laughs) Nothing is better than saying something so damaging to a child. But parents, I guess I'll just close with this. Please be mindful of your words in front of your children. Even the words you speak in private, be mindful of those words, because the more you repeat them, the more you will believe them. And if you're saying things that aren't true, you are believing a lie, and you're going to it'll affect the way you feel it'll affect what you do It's just a cascading effect so parents watch your words make sure you're confessing christ and make sure you're loving your kids
0: pastor jonathan connor is pastor of zion lutheran church in manning iowa jonathan thank you very much todd it's always a pleasure friday on issues etc we'll study the epiphany hymn songs of thankfulness and praise with dr arthur jest of concordia theological seminary fort wayne indiana And we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller respond to evangelical cliches like, it's between me and the Lord, Jesus knows the heart, we should only go to the Bible, and it's unloving to exclude people from communion. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for
1: listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production
2: of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3 on Sunday afternoon, February 4th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 4th.